morning. I knew that Hirithi was a good man, but when he sang a Christmas song already, I knew for sure now that he's a good man. Uh, we can sing, we can start singing in July Christmas songs. Uh, that, that would be fine with me. Uh, thank you uh, so much for Chris preaching last Sunday. Uh, we were in a gas station in the Basque Country, and Reuben uh, turned on his phone and looked up North Oaks, and there was Chris preaching. Uh, it was the weirdest thing. We were drinking coffee at a little gas station, and uh, it panned, and we saw you guys and here worshiping the Lord. So that, that was just amazing, and thanks Dave that uh, he uh, taught Wednesday night. Yeah, that, that's a huge blessing too, and... Uh, Jimmy was uh, busy uh, taking care of the office here. Uh, Joy had off, and uh, he was making sure everything was running smoothly. I uh, praise the Lord for all those involved, just so that we could take this missions trip. We're in, uh, Lord willing, this Wednesday we'll be giving a report, and I would encourage you to come. We'll have some pictures and some stories and some testimonies of uh, how God used us there in Spain uh, for those uh, eight days. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verses 11 to verse 16. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 4, 11, this is the word of the Lord. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for this opportunity that we can come and, and look at your word. I, I thank you for this church, that we can be salt and light in this community. And I, I pray that we will look at this uh, plan that you have for the church, where each individual is strengthened so that... Uh, each individual can minister to one another in love. Father, I pray that it won't just be some uh, theological information that we store away in our heads, but it will be things that we will put into practice and that will manifest it towards one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, a study was done by the University of Texas, uh, University of Texas at Austin, and it had to do with bilingualism and polylinguists, uh, people who speak two languages or people who speak multiple languages. 
And the study showed that when babies were uh, born, uh, they were able to distinguish all aliforms. Now, how did they know that a baby can hear all aliforms? I have no idea, but uh, each language has different variances uh, of sounds to form different concepts uh, or concepts of the same thing, but maybe in multiples. Uh, for example, we have uh, uh, certain F sounds like, for example, in phone or in fun, yet they're made differently. And supposedly babies could hear all of all allophones from all different languages. But as the baby starts to mature, uh, the ear starts to ignore other allophones and just focuses on uh, the ones of their native language. And, and it's uh, something that's very, very interesting. You can have a, a, a child uh, go from here from Texas and grow up in Japan and, and sound just as a native Japanese person. Or you can have a Japanese person uh, come here to Texas and grow up in the piney woods of Texas and sound just like anybody else from, because as they start to grow and develop and listening to certain aliforms, all the other ones get ignored and they start focusing on one specific and it gives a certain distinct sound. Uh, we can uh, distinguish people from uh, a person that has grown up in Boston all their life as different from somebody who grew up in New York City all their life. There's different sounds that they make as opposed to, say, uh, somebody who uh, grew up in Maine. Uh, all these sounds end up diverting the person into a certain sound that they'll make, uh, uh, a signature, per se. Now, this idea uh, is that a child will have listened to multiple sounds, but then as they grow, they will... Uh, set themselves into one certain pattern it is very similar to the maturity of a Christian and how a Christian develops. We get presented here as there are multiple doctrines, multiple doctrines that a child could hear, uh, a spiritual infant could perceive. But as this person matures, they should hear just one word from the Lord, one teaching, one doctrinal truth, that is, uh, can be corresponding to the Word of God. That person can look, hear what's being taught and look in the Scriptures and say, yes, that, that is in accordance with what God has presented here. Now, where we're at in this, uh, this series, we're at part three. Uh, I'm sure we could have done this all in one, one sermon, but we're in part three where we looked at the first, uh, in the first two sermons, uh, verses 11 through 13. And now we're going to be looking at verse 14 and, and to the end of verse 16. Uh, in, in our situation that we've looked at, uh, the context, God has presented salvation and he's presented it as his design, as his act, as his thought. Uh, people did not think, oh, I need to be saved. Uh, let me see how I can get right with the Lord. No, no, that, that's not what happened. God planned before the foundation of the world. He chose to, to, to adopt. Uh, not only did he choose to adopt, but he sent his son to redeem, to purchase. And not only did that happen, but the spirit came and sealed those who were adopted, redeemed. Uh, it's a, a secure deal. It's, it, it's done. This is something that the God has done. But now as Paul presents in this 
part on that has this more of an application aspect to it, uh, it, it gets presented as now an involvement of people. People are involved in this process. The, the, the ones who are saved. And it, it, for me, it's, it's an amazing thought to think about because over in chapter 2, verse 1, it, it presents our situation before Christ. It says, and you were, chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Uh, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and by nature were na nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But why, why would he involve us in, in his plan? Why, who, who would you want to involve that was like that? Nobody would. Uh, here God has his plan, and he's going to involve us now in this plan. Uh, I'm sure you've, uh, we just got past Thanksgiving, and um, maybe you had your grandchildren, or maybe you had your kids, and they said, hey, can we help in, in this process of cooking? And uh, you, you said, um, uh, okay, uh, I'll let you help. Uh, great, and they, they pull up a stool or something, and they want to help. They're, they're going to help you. And uh, they start to, whatever you have them do, and, and you say, well, they can't mess up peeling potatoes. I mean, that's, that, that's pretty easy. I mean, how can you mess up a peeled potato? But sure enough, they're, they're helping, and oh, my word, you're messing up a peeled potato. Uh, how about you don't do that, and you take the potato away. Go, go watch TV. I'll take care of the mashed potatoes, you know. That's just for mashed potatoes. Here is God's plan on sanctifying individuals, and he decides in his sovereignty, stuff that he has planned before the foundation of the world, to involve us in this process, which is incredible to think of. Now, I wouldn't use myself, but God in his grace uses us to be involved in the lives of other individuals. It says in verse 11, he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now, what we're going to be looking at specifically today is that believers should clearly distinguish biblical teaching and obey God's word so that we can help all grow in unity and love. Believers should clearly distinguish biblical teaching and obey God's word so that we can help all grow in unity and love. The first point is, verse 14, not to be a child anymore. Not to be a child anymore. In verse 14, uh, he, he, it starts off, and it has a certain clause it, which says, as a result, or, or for this purpose. It, it's, uh, it, it gives a purpose. Now, what is the purpose? Uh, some might want to tie it to the previous antecedent of verse 13, but it doesn't seem to make very much sense that uh, the growing has this, this process of not, no longer becoming a child. It's better to tie this result or this purpose from the fact that uh, of verse 11, and he gave. He gave these gifts for this result or for this purpose. Now, what is this result or purpose? That we are no longer to be children. Uh, we are no longer. It means um, 
that you are in this situation, and he is presenting that you no longer be in this situation. This is in what you are existing, and you are to cease existing in this situation and move into a more mature situation. And he says uh, that we are, it's a subjunctive. A subjunctive presents a desire, a desire. Now, uh, you might wrongly assume that if Paul is presenting a desire, it might not have uh, the same impact or force as, per se, a command, an imperative. But uh, subjunctives, even though they express desire, it always depends on who is using the subjunctive to understand the force of it. Uh, I'll use this example. Uh, your, your wife is pregnant. And uh, at 9.30 at night, when good Christian people are supposed to be asleep, uh, she says to you, uh, I would really like a pickle and vanilla ice cream. It's an expression of desire, right? You would be a foolish husband to assume that that desire is not an imperative, that that's not a command to go and get those things. You would have lost your mind. You'll be sleeping forever outside if you think that that desire is only a desire. It's just an expression of something. No, that expression is a command. And here, who is the author? The author is God. But what is he wanting of us? Why is he giving these gifts? It's not just a, I wish you guys were to grow. No, no. It's a command, the force of it is a desire that these have been given so that you implement these things. It's to do. He says in verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children. Children. Notice that it's not a child. No longer to be a child. That that word child is is this idea of um, an infant or a toddler. So we're not thinking uh, five years old or so, but, but rather, rather young. No longer to be children, plural. It it, it sets up a a contrast. Uh, Children, plural, is chaotic, right? You have one kid, one kid comes to the family, and and you guys can still manage to make it out to appointments on time, right? You're you're there, and you get the kid ready. Uh, You might forget the diaper bag a couple times, but with one, with one, you get out on time. But once you add two, it's a whole different story, isn't it? You get this one ready, and then you come and you start getting this one ready, and and somehow this one has taken their shoes and and clothes off and they're running around the house. You're like, why why are you doing that? Come here, put these things back on. When there's multiple children, it's chaotic. There's chaos involved. There's a contrast set up here. When you got, uh, for example, you look at verse 14, uh, no longer to be children, is contrasted with verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. Who, who is that mature man? That, that's Christ. At singular, there is a plurality of children. Lack of maturity. And as that maturity increases, it goes singular to one, Christ. Children, infants, by by their nature, are very selfish. You try to tell them, uh, please stop crying. We're we're trying to get your bottle as soon as possible. 
It, it'll be another 15 minutes, all right? Just, just please be patient. <laughs> they don't listen to that. They keep on crying. They, by their nature, they're very selfish. There, there's a contrast from children, multiple chaos, to one, which is Christ, that we're going towards. And he says, stop, stop this, and move in this direction. Now, as we see this we, in verse 14, it says, uh, how are these children? They're, they're tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That, that idea of being tossed, it, it's, it's only occurrence in the New Testament. It does occur in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 57. In Isaiah chapter 57, the prophet is talking and giving a contrast between those who fear the Lord and who seek salvation and those who uh, do not. If you go to Isaiah 57, uh, it's quite interesting the contrast that presents itself. Isaiah 57, um, we can start in verse 20. Uh, but the wicked are like the tossing sea. There's our word. For it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up, refuse, and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. That's how the word is used. It's used in the context of the sinner. And there is no peace for the wicked. Here is now used in the context of a believer, but is immature in their faith. And how are they? Well, they get tossed around. It's not that they are tossing themselves. It's a passive. They're being moved, carried about, one side to the other, pushed here, pushed there. It's not that they have a direction and they're moving but they are being influenced and they get moved every which way. Uh, not, not only that, as it says, but in verse 14 of, of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, they are uh, carried about every wind of doctrine. Which way does the wind blow? In all directions. And just as in all directions, the, the, the figure of speech, the, the picture being painted is, is there's teachings just coming from all directions. And the immature believer just listens to them. They hear some teaching over here, and they're like, oh, that just touched my heart. And they'll hear another teaching that totally contradicts what this one says, and they say, oh, that was fantastic. Oh, that was just a blessing. And then they'll hear another one. And again, they're just, they absorb it. They, they, they can't distinguish they, they can't tell the difference. Carried about every window doctrine. And it says, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. What? Believers doing this type of stuff? No. Every pastor has just the best intentions in their heart. No. There's a terrible thing going on with the prosperity gospel. Preachers telling people to give them money in faith and God is going to bless them. And then when they give offering, they say, no, you can give more in faith. And they, they take and they take from them. All types of trickery. Deceiving them. Oh, it's terrible things that pastors do, that preachers do. 
And they tell, and they deceive, and they scheme just to take advantage. As we look at this, we have to ask ourselves two questions that will maybe create uh, an application for us. Uh, two questions. The first question is, can being childlike be avoided? Maybe, maybe you think, you know what, I, I never went to a Bible college. I, I never finished high school. I, uh, you know, I, I have to work so many hours. I have to, and you have excuse after excuse after excuse, and you're wondering, can I possibly avoid being childlike? Is that a possibility for me, or is that off the table? I married somebody, and this person is not helping me grow with my walk with the Lord. Is it possible for me to not be childlike? Well, there are no qualifications here for this growth. In fact, Christ gave these gifts. He gave some as apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. There's nothing that qualifies this in that as long as you're coming to be edified, you'll continue to be growing. The person has to come and receive teaching so that they can be edified, so that they can no longer be a child. It takes a lot of hard work, yes. It takes a lot of involvement, but it can be done. You don't just have to be a child. Well, then that takes us to the second question. I mean, we're talking about something very hard, something that uh, leading to maturity, that, that doesn't seem very fun. And so the other question that we would have to ask is, is it really dangerous to be childlike? I mean, if we can avoid to being childlike, but it's going to take a lot of work, then the question is, well, is it really dangerous to be like a child? I mean, uh, being an adult, being mature is, is kind of boring. I remember listening on NPR as they were talking about the first uh, set of those uh, stimulus checks that went out, and they were interviewing people how they were going to use the funds. And this one guy said, uh, uh, I've, got, I've got worn out windshield wipers. I'm, I'm going to buy windshield wipers and put the rest in savings. And you could, you could kind of hear on the, the person interviewing that they were kind of let down with, like, I thought you'd do something a little bit more exciting. So then they go to this lady, and the, they ask the lady, and, and what are you going to do with this stimulus check? And she said, uh, I've been, uh, my, the, the water filters in my refrigerator have been uh, expired for the last six months. I'm going to go buy new water filters uh, for my refrigerator. And, um, and then I'm going to save the rest. And again, the lady was like disappointed. She's like, this is so boring. I was hoping to find some people that were going to use the stimulus money for something fun. And that's just the thing. It's acting like an adult is a, is a bit boring. Acting mature, it, it, it's kind of, um, it's not as exciting as being childlike, all irresponsible. So we, we have to wonder if being an adult is kind of boring is it really dangerous, then, to be childlike? Chuck Swindoll gave an illustration about a, a group that went hunting in the Alaskan bush country. There was a guide that had a pontoon boat, and he took two men and the son of one of the men. They landed kind of in this cove and took the plane up 
uh, and they got out and they went hunting. It was raining, but uh, the, the water was tidal there. And um, when they got back to the plane, uh, the water had receded and the, the plane was no longer on the, the water floating, but it was on the, the rocky shore. Uh, they managed to turn the plane around and uh, kind of push it out a little bit so that they could uh, be floating a little bit and, and try to take off. And in that process of doing the maneuver, a, uh, unbeknownst to the uh, pilot, a, a rock pierced one of the pontoons. And they got it out into the water, and it started taking water in, and he tried to take off with it. Uh, off it went, but it was unbalanced now. It starts making its way up, and he's trying to rectify, correct it, and it's got weight on one side and not the other. He tried to give it more power. They went further out. Uh, unfortunately, it wouldn't go up, and it, it nosedived down into the water. Very cold uh, fall water in Alaska and the Bering Sea. The pilot and one of the hunters got out of the plane and, and started swimming to the shore. It was a hard swim. It was uh, cold, and uh, of course, the water was still receding from the tidal, and so they were swimming almost against current. But they made it. They made it there. This, the story is a lot different for the father and the son. Uh, as they tried to swim back, they were fighting against the current. Neither of them thought about swimming parallel to the to the shore to try to get there. But as they struggled and struggled, they just couldn't make it. I mean, it would have been easier to just uh, let go of an arm or let go of your legs, the father, than to let go of his son. And he stayed with them, and it ended up dragging them out further and further out until the, the hunter and the pilot could no longer see them. And they died. Is it dangerous to be childlike? Oh, it's extremely dangerous. You're, you're carried around from every wind, every current, all the tossing of the sea. It takes you here and there, and you have no bearing. You have nothing to anchor you. Is it dangerous? It's extremely dangerous for your life to be childlike. You say, well, at least I am saved. <laughs> you don't get the point. You will live a life that is wasted, and you'll present that to the Lord. Who wants to do that? The one who, who, who adopted you, who sent his son to die for you, to redeem you, to, who sent his spirit to seal you. A wasted life? No. Is it dangerous to be childlike? It's extremely dangerous. It's not something that's just fun. And being a mature Christian is something boring. It's dangerous because you're tossed here and there. Every wind of doctrine, you listen to it. You can't distinguish it at all. And it carries you off. Now, on the flip side of no longer being childlike, we're to grow to be like Christ. And we see that in verses 15 and 16. To grow to be like Christ. Here we see in the, these verses, uh, verse 15, but it puts a, a strong contrast between the previous childlikeness 
to, to what they're supposed to be, which is verse 13, to the fullness of uh, the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we're to, as, we, as these gifts have been given, the apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors, teachers, they teach God's word. They explain God's word. We receive God's word, and then what are we to do with that? Then we're supposed to then speak the truth. Tell one another the truth. But how? Well, in love. In love. Love here has this idea of seeking the best interest of the other person. You, 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 you're seeking the best interest for them. There's many different ways that you can say something. You can say the facts, and um, it will offend people more than it will help them. Or you can say it lovingly. Now, lovingly doesn't mean that you uh, water it down. Uh, when you tell someone that they're in sin, <laughs> there's no watering down that you can do. You're in sin. You need to repent. Uh, you don't want to say arrogantly as, as if you would never sin, but you have to tell people in love because that's what's best interest for them is to be able to repent and to turn to God. It says we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head. To grow which has this idea of, of increasing bigger and bigger, becoming more. And the point is, uh, to him who is the head, even Christ. Now, in chapter 1, verses uh, 21, 22, uh, we see that Christ, uh, sorry, 20, 22 and 23, we see that Christ is the head, and everything is put in subjunction, uh, subjection to him. Here, the idea is not so much a but rather it is the, the idea of, of a goal, something to reach towards, a purpose, something that you're moving in this direction towards something. It says uh, we are to grow in all aspects and to him who is the head, even Christ. What is our purpose? Where are we going? What direction do we have? The direction is Christ. We don't hold up pastors of other churches. We don't hold up individuals and say, look, this is how you need... No, no, no. Where we're going, what we're pushing towards is Christ. That, Christ. That's the will of God, that we be conformed to the image of Christ. And it says, verse 16, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together. Christ is what unites us. Christ is what brings us together. Uh, it talked about previously that there was the Jew and the Gentile. Now, what brought them together? It was Christ, a, a new creature. What brings us together? We got people from all over. What brings us together? It, it, it's, it's Christ. He's brought us together in his church. That, that is what should unite us. Everything else is just fluff, but what unites us is Christ. He says, um, in whom the whole body uh, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now this is where it gets kind of interesting because here now it's, we're brought together by Christ and this being brought together for Christ involves where we're involved with one another to help in growing. 
In, in other words, it's not just the pastor and the elders. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the Sunday school teachers. But as we receive the word, we're growing, and we minister that word to one another in love. It, 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 this idea of building itself up, of edifying, of growing. It, it has this idea of stretching something to fed a mold. You, you, what, what's the plan? You pull out the architectural plan. What, what are we trying to shoot for? What, what is this going to look like at the end? Ha, it's going to look like Christ. That's what we're going towards. That, that's the purpose, to edify, to build up into that image. Now, as we think about this, we can apply this in a couple different ways. The first is that Christ-likeness defines our goal. Christ-likeness defines our goal. Uh, we're to glorify God. And what glorifies God is that we become more like Christ. So how does that look? Well, it means that our children's ministry, what's our purpose for teaching the children? It's to glorify God, to, that the kids look more like Christ and less like themselves. Well, what's the purpose of our ladies' ministry? <laughs> well, the purpose of our ladies' ministry is so that the ladies look more like Christ and less like themselves. But why, why do we get together with the singles? <laughs> the purpose for getting together with the singles is that they look more like Christ and less like themselves. Christ like this defines our goal from the littlest of kids that we teach to the, to the most senior adult here. What, what do we want to see of them? That they become more like Christ. So we sing songs, we teach the scriptures, we do crafts, we engage people so that they can become more and more like Christ. Even in our teen ministry, everything is moving towards that goal, that they become more and more like Christ. There is no other goal that we have. This isn't like my goal that, no, this is what he's done in the church. He's given these gifts. For what purpose? that we become a mature man, which is in Christ. No longer children. Children are selfish. They want their own way. No, no, no. One man, which is Christ. That that's defines all the ministries that we do. Christ-likeness defines our goal, but it also, Christ-likeness defines how we act. It defines how we act. How we interact with one another. We encourage children to come to him. Not because it's like, well, the children are the future of the church. No, no, no. The church is Christ. He said even the, the gates of hell will not prevail. He'll make sure that the church keeps on going. Why do we value children? Because they're creating the image of God. We want to see them become more like Christ. We encourage sinners to, to, with grace to repent. We don't cast them out. Why? Because we want to see them to be Christ-like. That doesn't mean that we encourage their sin and say, hey, you just keep on doing what you've been doing. No. They need to repent because they need to be Christ-like. But we all need to repent. We don't praise the sin. We realize that we're all sinners and we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. What are we building towards? What are we working towards? What are we studying week after week? Why, why visit people? Why call people on the phone? Because this is what we want to see than to become building up itself in love to the image of Christ. This isn't mine. This is what Christ has designed. This is what God has designed for the church. When we think about this, 
Believers should clearly distinguish biblical teaching. There's a lot of other teaching out there, but God, Christ has given these gifts so that we can distinguish biblical teaching for the purpose of obeying God's word so that we can help all grow in unity and love. Remember how that study in the University of Texas in Austin, supposedly they can just say that children hear all uh, sounds and can distinguish them. But as they grow, they start to distinguish one of their native. And, and, and that's what they hear. And that's how they talk, wherever they grew up. This is what a believer is to do. As a child, there's a extreme danger because there's all these sounds. And we invest our lives in the lives of other people so that they can hear a clear sound from God's word and become to the image of Christ. What are we doing here? What, what are we involved in? We're involved so that each of us can look more and more like Christ. Maybe it's possible that you can't do that because you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. There's never been a moment where you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're not a child because you're not a believer. There's never been a moment where you have decided to put, oh, you know information, you know stories. You can probably even have some verses memorized. But what is your faith hoping in? What are you believing in? What have you repented and turned from and turned to? Is it God through Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged your sin and, and, and put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross as the only thing that can save you? Maybe you're saved, but you thought it'd be cool to act childlike. You say, hey, I'm, I'm saved, but I kind of want to do my own thing. I don't want to be mature. The Bible presents that as very dangerous. You're going to get tossed here and there. Every information you'll just accept. No discernment at all. End up living a life that's just wasted. I would encourage you to think about that. If that is you, repent today. If you're not saved, in a moment we're going to have an invitation. You can come forward or, or you can just talk to the person that's beside you. They would love to share the gospel with you so that you could have that a security of having a relationship with God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have a design for the church and in your sovereignty you have planned this out and you have given gifts. I pray, Father, now that uh, if there is someone here that's not saved, that your spirit would convict them and that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Father, that they would let us know so that we can rejoice with them. Father, if there's believers here that maybe thought it was something cute to continue acting childlike, maybe they thought they would become a mature Christian later on in life. Father, it's extremely dangerous. And I pray, Father, that today they'll repent of that and turn to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.